Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, Falcoholics. What is up? Welcome to the Dirty Birds and Brews podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Knight, at Falcoholic Kevin on Twitter, X, whatever it's going by these days, here to bring you our Falcons vs. Bucks NFL Week 7 Game Preview Program. I'm joined by Rhett Matthew from the Cannon Fire Podcast, a fellow Believe Podcast Network show. He's at Redicus, I think is, is how you're pronouncing that. Uh, like Spartacus? or Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Matt- I, thought, I thought that's what you were going for. Yeah. I actually stole that screen name from my dad uh, when I was a young kid. He, he, there used to be a website called Photo Bucket. And yep. uh, that was that was his photo bucket username. And I saw it one day and I started using it for all my stuff and haven't stopped. Nice. I, I like it. It's a good one. Uh, so definitely got to keep got to keep it going there. Uh, guys, appreciate Rhett's time today. Tampa Bay Buccaneers expert over on the Cannon Fire podcast. Rhett, before we, we dive in, how are you doing today? I am good, man. Thank you again for having me. Always looking forward to talk ball. And uh, the NFC South has proven to be another competitive year. I will say for the Bucks, they have had a, cu- a good couple of weeks to to make some distance between them and the next team behind them. But uh, whoever wins this division this year, I don't think is going to be the most impressive team from the <laughs> NFC headed into the playoffs. But excited for things to uh, get exciting down the stretch for sure. Yeah, significant matchup obviously this week with with big implications because the winner of this game will be in first place in the NFC South. Uh, and there's very little separating the the three contenders. I don't, I don't maybe it's generous calling any of these teams contenders at this point, but uh, we're we're you know we're getting there, and it's it's only October, so there's there's time for things to change, but. Guys, we're going to dive into this divisional NFC South matchup. Much less heated this this uh, matchup than you know Falcons Saints. Uh, you know, I feel like the Bucks and the Falcons and the Panthers. We just kind of like you know, kind of like siblings. We're just like, oh, I don't, you know, you guys. But like the Saints, I feel like everyone hates the Saints. Is it the same for Bucks fans? Yeah, the Saints do a really good job of rubbing everybody the wrong way, and and they, you know, they make you feel angry. And then they say that it's not a rivalry, even though they get everyone worked up every time they come to town or. You know, your team plays their team, but I am glad the Bucks got the upper hand of that. And and honestly, you know, I'm glad that the Bucks have, have been able to seemingly shake the ghost that has been New Orleans these last couple of seasons because they haven't lost to the Saints in a year and a half. And and that I, I don't think the Bucks have ever beaten the Saints three times in a row in franchise history. So wow. it, it's yeah. you know, it, it's been a nice change lately. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, we're certainly not upset at all to see the Saints lose to anyone, uh, and handing them those divisional L's is is always nice to see. So thanks for thanks for your work there. Certainly, uh, guys. Before we dive in to this matchup in more detail, I want to bring you a quick word from our sponsors, uh, BetOnline.ag, folks. It's a Texas showdown in the MLB postseason, and BetOnline is your number one source for all your baseball wagering info. They've got your up-to-the-minute stats, news scores, and matchup breakdowns on deck. You can also get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals for the NFL and college football at your fingertips with BetOnline's real-time updates on statistics, news, and odds. They've got everything you need to stay up to speed on each MLB League Championship Series all the way through to the World Series. And, of course, they've got you covered for football all the way through the college football playoff and Super Bowl. So what are you waiting for, guys? Head to that website today, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Just don't forget to use our promo code, that's Believe B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. 
And before we dive in, I want to bring you uh, this week's prize picks brought to you by Prize Picks, of course. So we'll take a quick break for that and we'll be right back. Folks, today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. Just a reminder for those that are joining us for the first time Prize Picks is a skill based daily fantasy game where you pick two to six players and decide if they will go more or less than their prize picks projection. The more players you pick, the more you can win, all the way up to 25 times your money on any entry. At Prize Picks, you aren't competing against other people, unlike other daily fantasy, it's just you versus the projections. PricePix also has a generous promotion schedule, including weekly promotions like Taco Tuesday and Flex Friday. In particular, there's one this week to do with Steph Curry, where if he scores more than a half point, then you hit that square. It's basically a free square, so definitely check that out if you're doing any prize picks this week. Make sure to grab that Steph Curry square uh, as the NBA kicks off next week. Like And like I was saying, it's not just the NFL. It could be NBA. It could be MLB stuff. NHL, when that starts up, PGA, college football, basketball, whatever. And the best part, guys, prize picks entries can be made in 60 seconds or less, and they offer fast withdrawals. It's that easy. On top of all that, all first-time users that deposit and use our show's promo code DBB will receive 100% instant deposit match up to $100. That means if you deposit 100, prize picks will give you 100. If you deposit 50, prize picks will give you 50. Uh, and it really helps us out if you do that, guys. So make sure to use that promo code if you're interested in playing prize picks, DBB for Dirty Birds and Brews. And since Price Picks is daily fantasy, it's available in 31 states, Washington, D.C., and most of Canada, notably also available in Georgia, unlike a lot of other stuff. So you can check that out. Here's the map for quick reference. Uh, let's go ahead and dive in to this week's Prize Picks. We're, we're on, on a two-game losing streak here, so we're, we're getting back up on the horse. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm going to stick with Bijan Robinson more than his re- receiving yardage total. It's 25 and a half. He's beaten that almost every single week. Notably, the one week that I didn't do it, he actually didn't do it. So uh, that one is, is you know, it's been very reliable. I think Bijan is, is clearly a major part of this passing game. He's getting deep targets. He's getting short targets. He's getting targets everywhere. Um, so I think Bijan is definitely one of the safest players to go with on the Falcons offense. Going back to Youngway Koo again this week. Uh, for multiple reasons, first of all, his number is back down to six and a half. That's always nice. We love to see that. Uh, and they're going up against the Bucks, and notably, the Bucks are the NFL's best red zone uh, defense. They allow only twenty-one percent touchdown rate in the red zone. Uh, Arthur Smith has typically been aggressive down there and going for the touchdowns, but I think this week could be a week where Youngway Koo gets more work, and it's only it only takes a couple field goals and an extra point. Uh, to or a couple extra points and a long field goal to get that six and a half kicking points. So we'll go in with Koo this week. And then for the Bucks side of things, we're going to go with Rashad White and we're going to go less than his 48 and a half rushing yards number. Uh, that 48 and a half number for him would, I believe, be his third highest rushing yardage game of the season. And the Falcons have been a very good run defense outside of week one. They typically don't let players go for big yardage and the Bucks famously are one of the NFL's worst rushing attacks. So I don't think uh, he's going to have a lot of luck on the ground this week. Love Rashad White. Just don't think he's going to get much in this particular matchup. Uh, So look for the Falcons to limit there. And yeah, going with these picks, feel free to take these yourself or pick your own. Just make sure if you're signing up for the first time to use our promo code DBB when you sign up. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in. And thanks again to Prize Picks for sponsoring today's episode. All right, guys, I'm back with Rhett Matthew at Reticus, host of the Cannon Fire podcast. Rhett, it, 
It seemed like there was a great opportunity for the Bucks to really put some distance uh, on the other teams in this division, but hasn't really happened yet because various reasons, I'm sure. The Falcons haven't been able to put any distance between anyone when it looked like they were having a hot start. The Saints also had a 2-0 start, and they've scuffled as well. The only team that seems to be completely out of it at this point is the Carolina Panthers, which I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of people thought they would be the worst team in the division, but I I, I don't know that they thought they would be 0-6. But the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 3-2, and and on top of the NFC South, they've had their bye week already. Coming off a loss to the Lions, obviously, tough game. Funny enough, the same exact score that the Falcons lost to the Lions by. Uh, but how are you feeling about the Bucks at this point in the season, re- winning record going into Week 7? Yeah, uh, anytime you have a winning record halfway through October as a Bucks fan, you, you kind of have to take a step back and remember uh, it, what we have seen in the past, and that has been a lot of bad football by this Tampa Bay Buccaneers football team for the better part of a decade and a half. But you know, obviously winning the division, looking for their third time in a row as of right now, still in a good spot. But I, I would say cautiously optimistic because even though we are six weeks into the season, the Bucks did have an early buy. In a lot of ways, you still don't know what this team is going to be, especially down the stretch. A lack of consistency, a lack of experience, things like that are going to bite you at some point this season. But you look at the teams that they have beat, Minnesota, Chicago, they, they don't really, you know, ranked high in a lot of power rankings so far. They haven't proven to be the best of the best. They beat New Orleans, who, again, has been a tough team to play within the division. But outside of that, I mean, they just lost to Houston a couple of weeks ago. They are not the New Orleans Saints that we have seen. They have that core group of players, but those guys are getting older. They're just not the same competitive Saints that they usually are representing this division. So going into games against the Lions and the and the uh, the Eagles, it's one of those things where if the Bucs lose those games, nobody's really going to give them too much slack because the Eagles obviously going to be a contender in the NFC and the lions are 13 and three over their last 16 games. A lot of people want to say it's the same old lions, but at this point I really don't think it is. So two of the better teams in the NFC, I don't want to say the Bucs played a close game because they were basically dominated in both of those games. Uh, But at least for the lions, if we're looking for a silver lining and that humiliating loss, it was one of the least efficient offensive games of the year for the lions. They really could not run the ball against Tampa. So there's a lot of bright spots on a young team. And it seems like they can, I don't know about compete with some of the best teams in the NFL, but they can certainly slow them down to an extent. And when it comes to competing within the division and maybe facing some more average teams across the NFL, I definitely do like their chances, but I kind of have the same attitude I did at the beginning of the year, where when you look at this young roster of talent, a first-year offensive coordinator and play caller and Dave Canales, and obviously Todd Bowles coming into the season a little bit on the hot seat just because of the lack of success they had the, the, the previous season. A lot of things have to go right for the Bucs to potentially be a playoff team, but I do think they are doing a lot of things right. But again, cautiously optimistic because I, I'm still waiting for the valleys that we see throughout the course of an NFL season peaks and valleys. The bucks were riding high at three and one had a lot of hype headed into that lions game and they got handled by a much better team. But if they can stack up some more wins these next few weeks against some pretty tough opponents as well, I think they're going to be a fun team to watch this year for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and what is the overall mood in Tampa Bay? Do, do the, does the fan base seem to think that this is a a contending team or are they much like yourself where it's pretty cautiously optimistic at this point? 
I got to be honest with you. The Bucks fan base is incredibly weird. Uh, very, <laughs> very spoiled in a way, just because a lot of the Tampa population didn't start watching the team until about three, four years ago when they happened to sign a certain quarterback. Um, so a lot of people coming into the season you know, had really high expectations because they look at it like, well, you know, if we get better than where we were on offense last year, because our offense in 2022 was historically yeah. bad. So you have to assume if you can only get better by swapping out some personnel pieces and moving Tristan Wirfs to left tackle and getting a coherent play caller in Dave Canales, um, and your defense stays consistent because even though that 2022 Bucks team was eight and nine, their defense was, I'd say, a top 10 unit in the league. Yeah, they were pretty sure. uh, got away from the run defense that made them so good in 2019 and 2020. But, you know, they were still effective. That same defense, that same system, Todd Bowles, all of that's going to carry over into 2023. So a lot of people had very high expectations. And then. You take your first couple losses of the season. It's all about tempering those expectations and not being too dramatic about those first few losses of the season either. Because, you know, I don't think anyone was picking this Bucks team to win the Super Bowl, but I think it was incredibly short-sighted for most people to say, oh, they're going to win two, three games this year. They're going to be one of the worst teams yeah, in the league. Yeah. So I think that's true. I think there's there's too much talent. So the Bucks fan base is incredibly emotional. But I would say for most of the level-headed people, I, I have to think we are looking at things cautiously optimistic. This is a year for the Bucs to ultimately see what they have on their roster for the future and beyond. You know, the Mike Evans contract situation is going to be hairy come the offseason, and I don't know if the Bucs really have the facilities to bring him back as well as sign some of these other players who are going to be looking to get paid. You know, Tristan Wirfs, we don't have to pay him for another year, but jumping from right tackle to left tackle, his salary just went up about $10 million a year. Yeah. Uh, Antoine Winfield Jr. playing like one of the better safeties in the NFL. They're going to have to pay him pretty soon. Levante David on a one-year deal. They're going to have to figure that out. Devin White, obviously, another kind of contract snafu, a guy that feels like he's deserving to be paid as one of the top uh, top players in his position in the league. So I would say between all of that, cautiously optimistic, um, but tempering expectations enough to know that they're not a team that's going to uh, going to go on a deep playoff run, but it's more so about seeing what you have on this re uh, roster that you can look forward to in seasons beyond this one. Yeah, yeah, I think that's not necessarily a spot that a lot of folks expected the Bucks to be in so soon after the Super Bowl, but it's kind of a necessary thing with Tom Brady's retirement and not necessarily having an heir apparent in the building. But speaking of quarterback, I think I mean the biggest surprise to me has been Baker Mayfield not being a liability, um, and of course, with Baker Mayfield, you never really know how long that will last. That's kind of the Baker Mayfield experience. Uh, but I think especially early in the season, Baker was playing great football, um, notably against the two better defenses they played. The, the Saints being an exception. I think he played pretty well against the Saints. But against the, the two good defenses, otherwise they played in the Lions and the Eagles, there's been some struggles. Um, but other than that, I, I think ba Baker's been better than I expected, certainly. How, how are Bucks fans... Uh, thinking about Mayfield's performance through the first six games. Yeah, Baker's Baker's an easy guy to root for. Uh, you know, through the first six games, 1,088 yards, seven touchdowns, three interceptions. That Saints game was probably his best game as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer so far. But in the games that he has struggled, you know, like the Lions game, I, I think it is just a look at it, it, obviously, what the other end of that spectrum can be. I will say, even though that loss on the scoreboard there was no offense for the Bucs. It still felt like it could have been worse 
as far as a bad day for Baker. Only one interception, which was the one tipped at the line of scrimmage. Kind of hard to blame the guy for that. You know, it's hard to blame any quarterback for stuff like that when it happens. But other than that, couldn't really hit on the deep ball. He did look off. He was under pressure a lot that day. But it never seemed like the quarterback play got out of hand to where it was deliberately losing us the football game. Kind of like in the past where you've seen with Jameis Winston where, you know, you get three interceptions in the second half of a game and all of a sudden it's not close anymore. I, I like Baker. I think he's an easy guy to root for. And he has spoken highly of Dave Canales and how this Buccaneers coaching staff has put him in a position to play to his strengths, which is just, it, it wasn't something that Byron Leftwich was doing as an offensive coordinator these last couple of years. You know, that, that Bruce Arian scheme, that offensive scheme was a lot of long developing routes. It was a lot of vertical looks. And at the end of the day, it was a lot of plays that required talent to be made. And when you look at the Bucks roster in 2020 and 2021, when you're right, when your wide receiver three is Antonio Brown, you have enough offensive talent to go out there and basically out talent most teams in the NFL. And that's how the Bucks were as productive as they were in those seasons. But when you get to 2022 and you lose some of those Super Bowl pieces and you got to settle with a, a busted up, you know, 30 plus year old Julio Jones and anyone else who ends up injured throughout that season a lot of those younger guys get exposed. So Canales came in, really streamlined this offensive game plan, cleaned it up, and is playing to the strengths of these younger players and getting the most out of players like Trey Palmer, who is, you know, an undrafted, or I'm sorry, a late-round draft pick for the Bucs, who nobody expected to come on as strongly as he has. And he has definitely taken this wide receiver three role and uh, looks like he can make more plays throughout the season Devin Tompkins is a guy who's been around for a couple of years, but he's being featured more and more in this offense. And Mike Evans, you know, when he doesn't end up being the catalyst for this offense some weeks because he just gets shut down or whatever it may be, you have much better looks at the other guys on the team. It, it, it's not like this offense just doesn't work without Mike Evans having a good day. So I would say, you know, offensively, what they have done for Baker is just Play to his strengths, get him outside the number, play action, roll out. The run game is something I think we'll talk about here in a second because, you know, that's on the other end of the spectrum. But as far as Baker goes, I think they're doing the best that they possibly can with with what he's given them and what they've given him. Yeah, it definitely seems like it's it's gone better than I think most were expecting, particularly to start the year. The run the run game definitely seems to be the the problem. But that's a good segue into talking about the actual matchups here, which is interestingly enough, uh, I'm surprised by this, but PFF's overall grades actually have the Falcons better than the Bucks, which I'm kind of shocked by, given the, the two teams' records. Uh, but you know, PFF, we all know, take it with a grain of salt. It's just one set of numbers. But um, PFF actually really likes the Bucks' offense, has the Bucks' offense at 12th. Um, the, the Falcons' defense has actually been really good this year, which is almost as shocking as Baker Mayfield playing so well, probably. Um, and... You know, that, that's that been a real bright spot for this team where the Falcons have actually been leaning on the defense to win a lot of games as opposed to the offense. Um, and they're coming up against a, a Bucks offense that, while I think it's been pretty good, it definitely has some some vulnerabilities in terms of the run defense or the, the, the run game just is not functional, it seems like. Uh, what, what seems to be going on with that run game and how do you think it, it matches up? I mean, can you get anything out of it at this point or is it still a huge liability? You know, it, it, it's... In my opinion, it seems like it's a little too early to tell, but in 2022, the Bucks' run game was historically bad. You know, Rashad White was a rookie. You still had Leonard Fournette. We were using that rotation, and then you got a little bit of Keyshawn Vaughn in there. 
And it was awful. I think they averaged less than 2.5 yards per carry. It was historically bad. One of the worst in the history of the National Football League. And somehow, through the first five games for the Bucs in 2023, it has managed to get worse. When you look at the problem, I mean, I guess it's safe to say it's a little bit of everything. It's really hard to blame it on one thing. You know, a little bit of it is how they scheme these runs, how they play these backs. You don't see a lot of outside zone concept. You don't see the Bucks try and bump and run to the outside or or pull a tackle and, you know, set up lanes to the left or whatever the case may be. It's usually a north-south, straight-up-the-A-gut kind of inside carry. And I just don't think these backs are, are built for that. I don't think Rashad White is built yeah. for that. I don't think that's where he plays his best. I don't think Keyshawn Vaughn, personally, for a third-round pick, has done anything to prove his worth on this team. And I, I think this is his last season on the team because of that. As a rotational back, he just doesn't bring any juice. Chase Edmonds, unfortunately, the running back too, was on IR the last couple of weeks. So until he's activated and back in the game plan, I don't think much is going to change. They do have undrafted free agent Sean Tucker, who got a lot of hype coming out of training camp. Yeah, yeah. And he took it, I think, 15 carries so far on the season. And that's it. We have not seen him at all these last two games. And uh, not sure what the case with that is going to be moving forward, but Todd Bowles did say something to the effect of they're going to continue to rotate throughout the season and basically play who they see fit that week, which is kind of dumb, but you know, it's, it's the year for stuff like that. And then a lot of it, people would say it's the offensive line. Oh, don't even blame the running backs. It's the offensive line. This interior offensive line for the Bucs can't get enough, uh, you know, run lanes open, which is definitely true. 64% is what they are on the blocking win or the run block win rate, which is dead last in the NFL uh, for the Buccaneers offensive line. So again, a little bit of everything goes into why this is just a putrid run game for the Bucs. And I, and I do think they're going to stay consistent and they're going to stay stubborn. Dave Canales has used that word before so far this year to describe their plans with the run game. They're going to stay stubborn. I think with Rashad White being a higher round draft pick and the guy that you have pegged as your running back one, They're going to stay consistent with seeing what they have in him. And I think one of these weeks, you're going to get a game where it feels like you get more breathing room because the first two weeks of the season, when the Bucs were winning those games, it was a run game that was just good enough to control the clock. You know, critical third downs, maybe a big throw by Baker when you needed it on third down, critical conversions the last five minutes of the football game to hang on to it ball control football and suffocating defense is, is how the Bucs were winning those games. And when you play some of these better teams in the NFL, they've proven that that's not how they're going to win these games. Uh, and more and more teams are eventually going to figure that out if they cannot find some answers in the run game. So that's the biggest red flag for the Bucs because there's just so many question marks around what's even going on with that running back room. And I, I don't think there'll be buyers at the trade deadline. Uh, just, uh, I think, a little under two weeks away on October yep. 31st. So, you know, Zach Moss, Samaj Perine, or some of the names that people have brought up for the Bucks to go get in between just not really having the resources to make it happen and wanting to see what they have in this room, I, I, I guess this is it. I guess this is as good as it gets. Um, hopefully things get better, but we'll just have to see week to week at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it seems like it's an odd scheme matching there with you know Rashad White who was just a king of of zone running uh in college and the senior bowl made a lot of people look silly and I think he's got good vision and contact balance but he's not certainly not a hammer and same thing with Sean Tucker Sean Tucker's like not at all that type of player he's you know a home run hitter on the outside zone stuff so it's 
obviously they didn't draft Sean Tucker. He ends up going undrafted, but does seem like an odd mix of scheme and, and the type of backs that they actually have. And, and Chase Edmonds too, not necessarily a physical <laughs> bruiser for that North South running style. And it's crazy because I don't think there is a running back on the depth chart for Tampa who's averaging over 2.5 yards per carry at the moment. Chase Edmonds was the only one who did. He has, uh, tw- uh, no, I think he only has five carries on the season, but he took those for 20 yards. <laughs> um, so he looked like the most effective yeah. runner, even though he only ran the ball five times and then winds up getting injured. So, yeah, just a, a lot of uncertainty there. And it and it and it's hard to figure it out. Yeah, that's that's tough and probably not the week that you're going to have much success on the ground with the Falcons being, I think, top on the fringes of the top 10, it looks like, uh, of run defense. And a lot and most of the yards they gave up, funny enough, was in week one to the Panthers, who have since failed to do anything on the ground. Uh, so it's a little bit of an, uh, an odd statistical thing there, but, you know, division games, st- stuff happens. But the passing game is is much like last year. That's where the Bucks have, have had to see find their success. They, they've had to move the ball through the air. And I think outside of two games, they've been pretty successful at that. Obviously the wide receiver core is very good, but for the first time, in as long as I can remember, the Falcons are actually a very, very good pass defense. They're fourth in passing yardage uh, and 10th in net yards per attempt as well. They're just a very good, solid pass defense. They don't allow much yardage. They're elite on third downs. Um, They've just been very surprisingly good there, and obviously they've got AJ Terrell, who Bucks fans know very well. But they added Jesse Bates this offseason, who up he's up there with Anton Winfield in terms of best safeties in the NFL. I think I think PFF has Bates number one and Winfield three. I can't remember. It, it's close. I mean, they're both up there. Um, but it's it's no longer so easy to move the ball through the air against this Falcons team. And Jeff Okuda has been uh, in the lineup for the last couple of games and has been excellent so far. Um, I'm, I'm most, we know the Bucks weapons, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. I love, uh, Palmer. He was, he was one of my guys coming out. I thought the Falcons would be interested. Kind of surprised he lasted as long as he did, honestly, in the draft. But, um, I'm, I'm most interested in the, the offensive line because I think coming into the season, that was where I was honing in as like, I, if this Bucks team crashes and burns, it's going to be because the offensive line, um, it doesn't seem like that's happened so far, but uh, I think the tackles, Luke Gottecki in particular, looks much more comfortable playing outside as opposed to inside, which is what he was doing last year. But how is the interior hel- holding up at, at this point for Tampa Bay? And, and are, are you concerned about uh, the Falcons' pass rush potentially being able to to create some chaos there? Yeah, I definitely think having a fresh rotation along a defensive line is going to help any team get after Baker Mayfield because this Bucks interior offensive line has just proven that you know, Robert Hainsey looks like a guy who should be playing guard instead of center. Uh, Cody Malk is still a rookie who who comes from North Dakota State. So, you yep. know, he's not playing uh, the stiffest competition. And while I have to tip my cap to him because he has looked presentable so far in his rookie season under a lot of pressure at right guard, uh, he, he looks pedestrian so far. Matt Filer is a guy at left guard who the Bucks are going to have to replace after this season. You know, it's just kind of one of those things that you can tell that it's not ironed out all the way yet, but they really are banking on the production of not only Luke Gedeke at right tackle and uh, the career resurgence he has had in year number two because he was yeah. so bad last year yeah, playing at guard. guard. Oof. Yeah, yeah. So not only Gedeke looking more comfortable at right tackle, but Tristan Wirfs, dude. I, I mean, I will never get tired of gushing about this guy. A lot of people say I'm dramatic about it, but already on pace to be one of the greatest offensive linemen in Tampa Bay Buccaneers history. You know, we got the greats. We got Paul Gruber. Um, we got Tony Mayberry, like we got a lot of 
prestigious offensive linemen in our history. Maybe not a lot, but we got a couple of them. But I'm going to put Tristan Wirfs above those guys because not only is he uh, proving he can do it at the right side, he's proving he can do it at the left side. And, you know, going from Donovan Smith at left tackle to Tristan Wirfs, I'll take that any day of the week. But as far as the interior goes, yeah, it's been an issue because uh, we just talked verbatim or at at length about the run game and, and how that, you know, that that run block win rate percentage is not going to help you do very much. It's not going to help your running backs. You're not going to create very many holes doing that. But Baker Mayfield was under a lot of pressure from the Lions last week. And while it wasn't necessarily from Aiden Hutchinson uh, or any of those flashy guys playing on the edge, it was it was from the interior. And it's, you know, it, it's it's a lot of teams sending the house who are getting home. Uh, it's a lot of teams who are going to take advantage of of making this Buccaneers offense one-dimensional because you don't have a run game that can control the clock and you're forced to throw the ball. Baker can do a lot of improvisation, but he's not going to get away from those guys every single time. So I think that big push in the middle is a big reason why he was under pressure a lot last week. And, it, and it's going to be a key for you know every team in the NFL. I know it sounds so stupid, but... People said for the longest time to beat Tom Brady, you just got to hit him. <laughs> beat any quarterback in the NFL, you just got to hit him. And, uh, you know, with an offensive line that you don't really know who's going to show up week in and week out, at least in the interior, uh, it does become a worry point. But I, I think a lot of those guys are, are going to settle in, specifically, you know, Hainsey and Cody Malk. I, I have higher hopes for the development of, uh, of Cody Malk just because Hainsey, again, is not playing his natural position, but. He did start the entire season last year for Ryan Jensen uh, until that playoff game. So he definitely has enough reps under his belt to continue to be a serviceable center, but he's definitely not going to win every single rep. And we have seen that so far. Um, what does that interior defensive line rotation for Atlanta look like? Cause I know you guys got Calais Campbell just got his hundred sack, not that long ago. And uh, you got some other guys in there that you like to keep fresh. Yeah, so that that has actually been the the engine of the Falcons' defensive line thus far has been the David Anyamata Grady Jarrett pairing on the inside, and Anyamata has been one of the NFL's best interior rushers. Not doesn't have the sacks, but his pass rush win rate, I believe, is in the top five uh, of all defensive tackles. Grady Jarrett also up there, um, and they've gotten serviceable play from their reserve guys. They they've finally started to they've been playing Clayus Campbell mostly on the outside because. They just don't have a lot of guys on the outside at this stage. Um, they He got his 100 sack lined up on the inside last week. Um, so I'm wondering if they're going to start having him as a pass rusher more on the interior just because Clayus Campbell, I mean, legendary player, but you could tell like if he has to get out and chase somebody on the edge, it's it's just not going to be great for him anymore. He just doesn't have that that closing speed. Um, he's got that old man speed now. Uh, shout out to Clayus Campbell, oldest defensive player in the NFL, but um, still really lethal with that burst. And obviously his, his length and technique are outstanding. So he's still going to play on the edge on, on base downs, but we'll see how much he, he starts kicking inside in pass rushing situations. But yeah, the bigger issue for the Falcons has been the edge rushers. They've been great against the run. You know, Clayus Campbell, Bud Dupree. Uh, they haven't had a ton of pass rush there, but they did get five sacks last week. It was against the Commanders, who obviously give up the most sacks of any team in the NFL. But uh, last year's second-round pick, Arnold Abicady, had two. Uh, and Bud Dupree also had two last week. So they, they've they started—their their pressure rate is really good. But they they were the only team, I think, in the top 15 of pressure rate with, with less than 10 sacks. Uh, coincidentally did get to 10 sacks last week. But the Falcons, I believe, are third in pressure rate in the NFL. So they're getting pressure. They're not necessarily getting sacks— 
but the interior is where they've had the most success. So if that's a weakness for the Bucks, then that could potentially be uh, a problem spot on Sunday. Yeah, I'm looking at these trenches, and I will say that as far as pass blocking goes, the Bucks have been better than some people would expect them to be so far this season. I think Baker's only been sacked five times. So if you're averaging one sack a game, it's definitely not, not going to be the worst in the NFL. Um, so they're going to look to keep them clean again, wearing the white-on-white uniforms, which uh, might be my least favorite kit. But, you know, it, it is what it is. They'll look to keep that uni clean on Sunday. Yeah, it's hard to follow the creamsicle game. You know, it's, it's hard yeah. to follow that. You just have it to, is. maybe you just let the people down, you know. <laughs> I, I tell you what, uh, talking about throwbacks, I, I have to definitely acknowledge the throwbacks that Atlanta has embraced. And I'm glad that they wear them. Uh, what do they wear them three times a year at this point? Yeah, this year like, they're wearing them three times. Yeah. That's what you properly do with a throwback. And and I can maybe understand why the Bucks wouldn't want to go that far because when they do it, like they do up the whole stadium. Yeah. And that takes a lot of work. You know, it changes up the field pain. It changes up the end zones. It changes up the banners that you hang up everywhere. It changes up uh, all the equipment that the players use. It's like I, I kind of get it, but I, I definitely think they should embrace it. Or at the very least, they should start wearing the creamsicle on the road because those white creamsicles back in the day were badass. That way yeah. we can get a matchup eventually of those Falcons throwbacks and the Bucks creamsicle. Got to be a thing of beauty. We got to set that up. Yeah, we got to set that the up. The NFL yeah. is missing out on making so much money by not having, you know, two teams wear their throwbacks and play each other. I don't know why they don't do that. I don't know. It's a whole it's a whole bureaucracy. I'm sure there's some red tape surrounding it that we're not privy to. But, um, yeah, that would be a sweet uniform matchup, no doubt. Um, moving to the offensive side for the Falcons, it's, it's been very inconsistent uh, to say that. And, obviously, they're starting – essentially a rookie quarterback and Desmond Ritter who I believe this will be his eighth start or wait, no, it'll be uh, his 11th start, excuse me, this week against the Bucks. So hasn't even played a full 16 game season. Did have his best ever game in week five against the Texans um, who are, who were playing pretty good defense up until that point. And the Falcons won that game pretty impressively last week against the commanders. Ritter throws the three picks, but does also throw two touchdowns and over 300 yards. So, Ritter, def- Ritter definitely seems to be getting it to the extent that the passing game is functional, whereas in weeks three and four for the Falcons, it was completely broken and not working at all. Uh, the weird thing is the run game has started, has it's still produced, but it's been pretty inefficient up until the fourth quarter where they've started to just take over. Um, so matching up against the Bucks defense, which statistically speaking, very similar to Atlanta, as I think both are hovering around the top 10 in most statistics. Um Curious how you feel about the Bucks' pass defense, and obviously Ritter's very inconsistent, but the Falcons do have some weapons at this point with Drake London, with Kyle Pitts, who's slowly getting back to full health, and a couple other guys that are mixing in, including Bijan Robinson, who's basically been playing a part-time receiver role as well as running back. Um, what do you think about the Bucks' pass defense? How has that side of the ball uh, functioned so far this year? You know, it's been okay. As long as you keep this secondary healthy, you do have a lot of playmakers and you have a lot of physical players back there who I think have shown a lot of growth these last couple of seasons. Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean. While Jamel Dean is is kind of been, I don't want to say on the injury mend, but he has popped up on the injury report. Uh, he hasn't quite made as much noise as he did last season and the year before, but, you know, those guys are consistent. You can count on them week in and week out. Antoine Winfield Jr. playing well. Ryan Neal safety position was exceptionally bad last week against the Lions, and I think the Bucs are going to be looking to give Dee Delaney some more looks in that safety spot this week. He's been on the team for a couple of years. I believe won a Super Bowl in 2020 with us. 
the secondary has been good. The linebacker core, Levante, David, Devin White, one of the most consistent duos in the NFL. I'd argue one of the best linebacker duos in the NFL and have been since uh, White's rookie season, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, those guys are always going to show up and play. Levante, David, at 33 years old, had nine tackles, led the team in tackles last week, also had a sack and a big-time pass breakup on uh, rookie tight end Sam Laporta. So he's efficient. He's going to be good in coverage. He's going to be good man. He's going to be good going after the quarterback. He's dependable. He's great. The pass rush is really the biggest question right now for the Bucs. And it kind of has been an issue because, you know, back when the Bucs had a, a big name defensive line, when you've got rotational guys like uh, Indomitian Sue coming in and out, you know, lining up next to Vita Vea, Jason Pierre-Paul playing on the edge, those guys are gone, but you still have a lot of those pieces that made that pass rush what it was. But even on the more successful defenses, I never felt like this pass rush was something to be feared, per se. I mean, they really got after Pat Mahomes in the Super Bowl. But aside from that, that entire regular season, we were like, why can we not get after the quarterback? And that's definitely the issue now. Uh, you're relying on a lot of younger guys along this defensive line. Shaq Barrett just really has not been that productive. Left last year because of the injury. Had the big-time plays in Week 2 against the Bears, which were great to see. But he just hasn't been that guy the Bucks paid him to be. Uh, Joe Tryon Shoinka, you're still banking on that development. He's a younger outside linebacker, and we know that those edge rushers take a couple of extra years to develop, but still waiting on him to kind of fully put it together. Vita Vea has been a godsend. He's, you know, a monster at defensive tackle, one of the best nose tackles in the NFL. And then you rotate him out with Greg Gaines, who they signed from the Rams. You got Mike Green, uh, Logan Hall, who's a second-year player, looking for him to develop. William Golston, who is a veteran. While this defensive line, the run defense does look improved for the Bucs, they look like they're getting back to form what they were before 2022, back when they were averaging, you know, yeah. usually first second in the league all season long for the defense. While the run defense look, does look better, still a concern getting to the quarterback. And I think that's something that, you know, against weaker offensive lines still, still seems to be the issue. So that's what I'm going to be paying the most attention to as far as the Bucs defense, because... You know, you give any quarterback time to throw. You look at what Jared Goff did to the Bucks last week, especially on third down. They couldn't even seem to get off of the field on third and 10 plus situations. So I'm worried about them lacking pressure this week because I was going to ask your thoughts on Ritter. I don't know if I'm convinced all the way that he's the guy, but he doesn't have to be the guy. If you give him a bunch of time, he's going to throw all over you. So yeah. that's my biggest concern this week is is probably the pass rush. Yeah, I mean, we're we're still very much trying to figure it out. Um, you know, if you'd asked me after week four, I would have been like, well, he's got about two weeks before he gets benched and he's got to show something. And then week five, he had his best ever game, a legitimately great game against the Texans who, you know, not maybe as good as they looked over the first, you know, over their winning streak, but still a much better team than anyone was expecting. And then in week six, he actually had a good game passing, but the mistakes were there. Now, some of those weren't necessarily his fault. Um, you know, one of them, I, I believe Bijan Robinson had an option route and just ran the wrong way. So there was just a defender standing there, um, you know, and that's going to happen. Um, that's stuff that's going to get cleaned up. But overall, I mean, it, the Falcons are able to pass the ball now. So that that has gotten fixed. Like they can throw the ball back to back 300 yard games. 
Um, they, I don't think they had that ever with Marcus Mariota. Uh, and the last time they had three back-to-back 300-yard games was with Matt Ryan in 2019. So if he can put up 300 yards this week, you know, that obviously is a good sign. But it's really just the turnover-worthy plays with Ritter, which is not something that was present on his college tape. So I, I'm thinking it's just a getting used to the speed of the NFL, getting getting used to the offense type of situation. But where Ritter has struggled the most was in week three and week four when he was under a lot of pressure. Also on the road, he's never won a road game in the NFL, and he just lost his first home game in the NFL or in college last week against Washington. Um, so maybe he'll break his road streak too at the same time. But um, River has is, is been better over the last two weeks. So I, I have confidence that he can throw the ball now and this passing game will be functional. Um, so really, I think the big thing for him is if he's not put under any pressure, then he can he can definitely carve you up. Um and the Falcons have the weapons to do it too, especially, I don't think the Bucks necessarily have problems in the secondary, but, um, you know, if you do, then the Falcons weapons can definitely take over. Yeah, definitely going to stay healthy there. But I, I would say the key for a lot of the offenses so far this season, when playing Tampa Bay, the Lions did a really good job of it last week. It's, it's quick developing plays, high percentage throws, but more importantly, spreading out this defense uh, plays that go to the outside of the numbers, you know, bubble screens that basically open up the defense and causes all of the big fat guys in the interior to have to run towards the sidelines as fast as they can. And all of these corners and these safeties and these specialist players who have to be your tacklers, your first wave of tacklers, which is never going to be great when you get a mismatch, you know, a tight end out in the flat is going to do a lot of damage to this Buccaneers defense. And I think if the Falcons have success throwing the ball, I want to say that that's how a lot of it's going to happen um, because it's just, it, it works. It works against this Bucks defense for some reason. Todd Bowles is the type of coordinator where not only is he going to blitz the hell out of you, but the Bucks have done a pretty good job so far this, he, uh, this season of stopping the big plays that go over their head, right? I mean, you don't see a lot of big, 50, 60 plus yard passing plays on this Buccaneers de- uh, defense when teams are driving down the field. It's 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 the short, consistent, just it gets under your skin as a fan watching the game because it's third and 11 yeah, and they can't yeah. get off of the field because it's an underneath route to some guy who's going five miles an hour. You know, the slowest tight end on the team is going to find a way to be wide open against yeah. this defense sometimes when they decide to play soft zone coverage. But all of the underneath stuff, all of that outside zone concept, you know, the quick screen passes, a bubble screen, setting up blockers and end around where you've got the defense running from one side to the other. Spreading out this Buccaneers defense is, is the key to beating them. At least that's what some of these better teams have shown. So I think for Atlanta this week, if they are going to be throwing the ball a lot, I, I won't make a prediction because I haven't watched the Falcons every week. So I won't pretend like I know what their offensive tendencies are, but I do think their highest chance of success is going to be uh, just just making this defensive line thin, running them down, you know, uh, try and get these guys running as much as you can and spread them out. Yeah, and they're definitely going to be, I think, leaning on Bijan Robinson more and more as a as a blitz outlet um, because his pass protection has been kind of spotty so far, not surprising for a rookie running back. But they also have Jonu Smith, who's been surprisingly one of their top receivers and he's obviously that guy that can leak out and 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 catch those those flat passes and take them for for big yardage one of the better yards after catch tight ends in the nfl um so i'm interested to see how that plays out obviously i think the bucks are good against a run the falcons can be great running the ball even against good run defenses but they haven't really done it much at, since the first two weeks of the season 
So it's been a little weird there. So I, I don't know how much running we're going to... The Falcons are going to run the ball. They're probably going to run the ball 30 times at least. But I don't know how successful they're going to be. You know, I, I talked about the improvement of the Bucks' run defense. And I hope that statement rings true on Sunday because they ran all over Tampa last year. I mean, Taylor... Taylor, Tyler Allgear had maybe 250, 300 yards all by himself against the Bucks defense last season. Um, so I'm hoping that they show up fresh and ready to go because if Atlanta does decide to stay committed to the run, it could be tough sledding. I, I mean, it could be tough sledding, but you also look at a team who is so good at running the ball like Philadelphia that once the second half comes around and you've got a fresh DeAndre Swift, he can go run 200 yards against this defense. So that game against Philly has been the outlier so far for this Bucks run defense, hopefully. But uh, I do think it's going to be an interesting matchup to see just how committed Atlanta is uh, to that run game. Yeah, they're very committed. Well, well it hasn't been efficient the last couple of weeks, but it, it seems like the weakness for the Bucks is dealing with the outside zone, and that's really what the Falcons want to run. So we'll see how that translates this week. But definitely, I mean, we know how important this matchup is, obviously, for both of these teams. The Falcons end up winning this one. Um, they'll They'll take the lead, and they'll get that that win over Tampa Bay on the road, which they haven't won any road games with Desmond Ritter so far. So obviously that would be big for his confidence. But if the Bucs win, the opposite happens, right? The Bucs take a pretty significant lead in the division with another division win. They'll be 2-0 in the division at this point. So curious what you think about, about the game on Sunday. What's your prediction at this point? I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. Uh, you know, a, a lot of the Bucs games have been low-scoring simply because of their offense not being that productive. But... I think this game is going to be won or lost on third down for, for both teams here. You know, as far as the Bucks defense, getting off of the field on third down has, has got to become a priority, especially in the second half where you have a uh, considerable time being taken off of the clock because the offense can get a fresh set of down. So getting off of the field on third down and uh, just getting back to the team that they were these first couple of weeks on third down headed into the Lions game, the Bucs were one of the most efficient teams in the NFL on third down. Baker Mayfield, I think, has got over 300 passing yards and six touchdowns just throwing the ball on third down this season so far. He has been incredible. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, as an, as an offense, you don't want to find yourself on third down every single drive, you know, trying to convert. But when you're in a situation like that and you're forced to convert, you, you just, you got to make those plays. You have to be more efficient in the red zone. And I think honestly, an issue for the bucks these last couple of weeks against better football teams has, has been just player execution. Uh, Mike Evans didn't look like himself against the Eagles. He dropped a touchdown. Didn't look like himself against the lions. He, he dropped a couple of passes that he definitely should have had. And his body language wasn't the best, which is kind of rare for Mike Evans. You know, this is a guy that they put a captain's patch on every single year one of the best offensive players in the history of the franchise. So, you know, you want to keep him happy and you want to, you want to just keep this offense consistent and whether it moves uh, with Mike or not, you just, you have to get those important third downs. You have to stay, uh, you have to stay ready and you have to show up ready to play. No drop passes, no dem penalties, you know, that, that bit the bucks in the ass when they were a bad team. And they're out this year trying to prove that they're not a bad team because they haven't been a bad team uh, for at least a couple of years. So they're yeah. looking to keep it that way. But close game, Bucks do have the home field advantage. So I do think it's a one o'clock game, and uh, hopefully the fans come through. Mm, I will take the Bucks in a close one, 27-24. I think whoever has the ball last will end up winning this game. 
entirely possible. The Falcons in the fourth quarter have been just a drastically better team than in all three other quarters combined. So, you know, if, if that's the case, the, I like the Falcons' chances, but we'll see there. But yeah, you mentioned the third down defense. Uh, that could be a crucial one in this game. The Falcons second in third down defense, just allowing 31.1%. The Bucks, I you mentioned it. I uh, couldn't believe it, but yeah, the Bucks are 31st allowing almost 50% on third down. So, you know, it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> and then on the other end of things, uh, the Bucks number one in the red zone, however, just allowing a 23% touchdown rate. So um, it's it's a weird defense. And I was kind of wondering why PFF didn't like the Bucks defense. They, they have the Bucks at 25th defensively. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. You know, But maybe that's the third downs. Yeah. That third a, a lot of teams I think maybe that and just the lack of pass rush you know they do have yeah. the sacks so far on the season uh, it didn't feel like they had three sacks against Detroit but they did Vita Vea by himself has four sacks this season leads the team so uh, you know that also just kind of proves the lack of production from some of these edge rushers that they're going to be looking for but I think between not getting off of the field on third down and, and just not getting after the quarterback enough with some of those players and uh, not entirely hitting home on a lot of the blitzes they decide to run. Stuff like that is definitely going to continue to hold them back. Yeah, yeah. And this one, to me, it feels very similar to the Texans game where everyone was sort of like out on the Falcons. They're like, okay, they, they can't do this. It, it, they're done. And it's, that's that's typically when they just pull a win out, out of thin air for, for not really any reason that I can determine. But um, yeah, I, I also think it's going to be pretty close. I mean, I could see this being probably maybe even lower scoring than you thought, like 20 to 17 or something like that. But, um, you know, it it's hard for me to, I mean, I, I'm going to pick the Falcons, but I, I don't feel great about it. And they haven't won with on the road with Desmond River yet. So it's like, I'm kind of like hoping that this will be the motivation he needs. I'm sure he'll hear about this, you know, uh, from somebody. He'll be like, oh, Kevin said, you're, you know, you're, you're going to win on the road, so you better do it. So I'm sure he cares a lot about, about what I think. But, um it's going to be a weird one. I can feel it. these these division games can always be weird, but uh, yeah, I think it's going to be something like twenty to seventeen, and and flip a coin. You know, <laughs> whoever whoever you want uh, to, whoever you think is is better, go with it. But yeah, I mean, uh, significant game, division implications. Uh, it's going to be an interesting one. Hopefully, it'll be a good one, a fun one, uh, an injury free most of all. So, um, Rhett, thank you so much, man. Appreciate your time, guys. He is Rhett Matthew at Reticus on Twitter, X, whatever, uh, host of the Cannon Fire podcast over on the Believe Podcast Network. Rhett, anything else you want to plug before we sign off? Uh, no, nah, thank you, Kevin. I appreciate talking ball with you, man. Excited again as we talked about this NFC South division. going to be a lot of fun this year. It's, it's going to come down to the wire just like it has in previous seasons, and uh, it's going to be a lot of action between these teams. And, and F the Saints, right? We all hate yeah, the Saints. Yeah, so there you go. I'm Glad we can all agree on that part of it. But thank you for having me on. And uh, folks, just follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Redicus and uh, Cannon Fire Podcast. All of that on social media. You can also watch us with video over on YouTube and download anywhere you listen to your podcast. Absolutely, guys. Make sure to check that out if you're looking for some Bucks perspective. I'm Kevin Knight at Falcoholic Kevin. Uh, we'll be back, of course, on Sunday for the post game show. We'll see how this one shakes out. If you haven't, already liked and subscribed on youtube please do that for us we appreciate that leave us that five-star review on your podcast platform of choice today's show was brought to you by bet online and we thank prize picks also for sponsoring today's episode guys thanks for tuning into dirty birds and Brews podcast we'll see you this weekend have a great day